Welcome, my friends, to another episode of Is That Really Legal? with Eric Rubin. Today you'll listen to me speaking with Paula Plum. Paula is an amazing actress who lives in the Boston area, and you don't have to live in Boston to have seen her work because she's done a lot of film. Uh, If you saw the movie Mermaids with Cher, she's in it. If you saw Malice with Nicole Kidman and Alec Baldwin, she's in it. She's worked with superstars in this industry, but even more importantly to me, she has been a fantastic teacher and coach, including to me back when I lived in Boston. She coaches individual actors a lot, and we'll be talking about her working with Cher and Bob Hoskins and um, <clears throat> even meeting Tom Cruise. Um, but we'll also be talking about her beliefs about coaching and uh, the importance of having craft in acting. Um, I believe in the importance of keeping track of this podcast, so you should subscribe because that way you'll automatically get it. And if you have questions or concerns about this podcast or anything you want to communicate with me, go to www.isthatreallylegal.com. There's a space for you to leave me a message. I would love to hear from you. And as I always say, please subscribe, please rate this podcast because it makes it easier for other people to find it. And that's always good. So uh, take this time to sit back, relax, and enjoy my interview with the incomparable Paula Plum. Paula Plum, welcome to Is That Really Legal with Eric Rubin. I am literally thrilled to talk to you today. Just so, and I'll probably say this, I haven't seen you in person in a long time. Forever. Yeah, you helped coach me uh, for several projects and auditions and things. Um, And you are, (laughs) so overused, you're just one of the most delightful, talented, wonderful people. And in a world where performers can be mercurial, difficult, annoying, all that, you're none of those things. And I'm just going to... have a good day. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I talk about you giving me a great piece of advice, and then I'm going to go backwards to the beginning of everything. But you gave me a great piece of advice once. I don't know if you'll remember this, but you said never look at reviews while you're doing the show. Then you're... you're and you're making faces like, yeah. yeah. And you told me this great, I just have to lead off with this. You told me this story where I can't remember if you were in Shakespeare or Chekhov, you were in something important with the big eye. And um, you read a review, you made a mistake. Or, well, you, you, before you made this rule, you read this review that said you were something like transplendent or. Yes, luminous. Uh, I was luminous. Yeah. So tell it, you, you tell it better. Well, I I was doing Molly Sweeney and the critic for the Globe headlined it with luminous, Paula Plum is luminous as Molly Sweeney. And I then every night went out and thought, I can't, I'm not luminous. I'm not luminous enough. How can I, how can I measure up to luminous every night for people who want to see luminous? So, so I don't read them at all. 
I mean, I, I mean, I do after the fact sometimes now, but I just, I find them so destructive because what happens is it gets inside your head and you then have a, another voice in there. And I have already a lot of voices. So it's like, I don't need the extra. It's a, yeah, it's a double-edged sword. You know, those voices are incredibly helpful or incredibly destructive, depending on... I, yeah. I've often told people that um, my mind is a tool like a chainsaw. And if I use it for the right purpose, it's very helpful. But if I try to clean the house with it, it's very destructive. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So let's yeah, talk... I, I want to talk about you. There's things about you I have no idea of, so I'm going to go back to the back to it all. And it's like, where did you start out? Where are you from? Um, you know, I, I was thinking about this interview as I, I was just out walking and I thought, you know, this question might come up. And I always have to say, I knew I was going to be an actor when I was 11 years old. I, um, I was in Catholic school and I, instead of writing book reports, the nuns actually, and this was anomalous, the nuns actually allowed me to script scenes from books that I read and then act them out in front of the class. And that was the beginning. But where, where literally are you from? Like what town? Oh, Lynn, 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 City of Sin. <laughs> well, yeah, that's a big inside joke for those of us from who've lived in the Boston area. And you, so you went to Catholic school and school, Our Lady of the Assumption in Linfield and then St. Mary's in Lynn for high school. And they were both great schools. Shout out to both of those schools. I learned a lot, especially about discipline um, and showing up committing all those things were really big values back then um and uh and and i i you know went to college at bu my mother's alma mater she was a graduate of 1937 i graduated in 1975 we used to go to alumni weekends together and i she'd be the only person representing her class but yeah and my husband went to bu so we're bu alums anyway so yeah i started in lynn well for people who don't know um BU is what we consider a league school, I believe. It's certainly a well-known. I, I assume you got a, a BFA there. Is that accurate? Yeah, BFA in acting. And um, were you there with any other famous people? Because a lot of famous people were there. Luminaries, yes. Um, um, uh, 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 Richard Seinfeld. The, what, Jason, Alexander. Jason Alexander, terrible with names. Oh. Jason Alexander. Jason, Peter. if you're listening, Paula, uh, <laughs> I'm sure apologizes, but please. I do. Um, Pee Herman, I can't remember his name either. Paul um, Rubens. Paul Rubens, thank you. Um, Howard Stern was there. Uh, Gina Davis. Um, my contemporary, Alfred Woodard, was there. Thank you. You want to say hi to Eric? Hi, Mr. Sneed, a pleasure as always. Good to see you. Great to see you. I have a quick story about your husband. He, uh -oh. I, I believe the first time I met him, we were both on the set of an independent film that I don't think ever got completed. We were both supposed to be attorneys getting onto an elevator. And I was recently in a production of a show called Honk, where I played a singing, dancing turkey. And as I was about to get on the elevator with him, he turned to me and said, weren't you just a turkey? I don't know if you saw, it was at the Concord Players. And I was <laughs> like, by the way, a thing that I got recognized for more than anything I'd ever done was being a singing, dancing turkey. It's an interesting business. But anyway, it's good it to is, see you. It sir. is. Good to see you too. It is. 
Um, but, but I digress. But wait, I, I have to also say one of my favorite gigs of all time was with you at, for, for the Harvard Business School when you and I sat and improvised. And I still have this video um, because I look so good in it. And so do you, by the way. Um, well, I was a lot thinner and you were younger. 30 years younger. Yes. But this where I was this tremendously, can I say bitchy, bitchy woman giving you the hardest time of your life as a lawyer, I wanted um, retribution for some damages that had been done to my car when it was being repaired. And I, I, it's like one of my favorite videos of all time because you are scrambling to try to keep up with my, my bitchiness. <laughs> wow. I have to tell you at the, at the risk of offending you, I don't remember it. I'd love to have a copy of that video. I will, I will send it to you because I'd like to show um, my wife, who uh, does love me, but I think she doesn't know how thin and young I used to be. <laughs> and I, she's sitting across from me right now. And I, and I just want to show you, off that this was, you know, I had that back then. But you anyway. have the best Instagram posts. Oh, dear. Is this really legal? I mean, if I was a foodie in New York, I would be following you around because you guys know how to. You guys know how to live. Thanks. Well, if you're ever in New York, we will take you to various places to eat. We usually stay in Brooklyn, by the way, which I think is better than Manhattan. But um, what I do remember is that being in Boston, um, while there are, you know, some people might say you don't get to do things that you do in New York. There's so much um, in-house video for different companies and schools. I was also... I believe you know Margaret Brady, who's a fixture on the Boston scene. I love her. Right. She and I were patients at some medical school thing where we came in and we complained about various ailments Yeah. on video. There's really a great opportunity to be all kinds of loony people on video for unsuspecting individuals. Um, that's like a whole other cottage industry in the Boston area. It is. Um, be, uh, working, I work for palliative care over at Dana-Farber as, a end of as an end-of-life patient frequently so that they can learn how to break bad news. Um, and, and I also give them a run for their money. <laughs> so roughly how many times have you been told that you have six months to live? Or something oh, like you know, countless at this point. But it's a great gig. It's a great gig because you really feel like that kind of thing when you're acting in a, in a, that kind of job, you really feel like you're doing a tremendous amount of good for someone that you will never meet because that person, the doctor will be that much more compassionate if they know what they're up against. That, that's great. I love that. Of course, a lot of actors think that what they want is to have one of those trophies. Uh, that they just handed out the other day, but they, I, I look. I've never received one of those trophies, but I, you and I have both enjoyed what some people might call a peak moment in life. But those things don't last. That excitement is fun, even getting the gig. And you know, we've both you certainly more than I. But getting the gig is certainly lovely, and doing the work can be great. But it's just you have to be happy, which. Is one of the things I'm going to step out on the timeline for a second. One of the things that I admire about you most is that you and your husband, um, while you're great actors, both of you, you're not Thanks. that good that you you would cover up a bad marriage. 
I see you guys together. You just have a lovely marriage. May I say that from the outside? You may. And I saw the uh, Oscars the other night with Jamie Lee Curtis and uh, Christopher Guest, and her hand was draped over his lap. And several people commented, they reminded that, them of Richard and me, because we actually... I've, we are so blessed to be um, colleagues on the stage and, you know, still really madly in love with each other. Um, you know, it's crazy. I, we've been married for 42 years and um, together for like 48 or something. And it's just, it's nuts. <laughs> but you it's feel it. You feel it even in your home. You know, I was unfortunate to be in your home a couple of times because you coached me from there. Yeah. And it's just the sweetness is there. You have a lovely home. I won't say where it is, but it's a nice, I think it's Victorian. It's certainly a nice old, uh, pretty place. It was Thank much nicer than I went to one coach who had a rabbit that attacked me. And that wasn't you. <laughs> I know who it was. <laughs> and that was just terrifying. Um, I recently interviewed another coach I had, Peter Kelly. Oh, had, you know, lovely time. guy, um, very different approach than you. And I and for different things, you know, um, I believe you coached me on a lot of Shakespeare, actually, yeah. Um, yeah. and more classical stuff. Um, but let's let's back up a second. You get out of BU now. BU for the Bachelor of Fine Arts, which it still offers, and um, there's a, oh Rosie O'Donnell was also I think went to BU. Um, right. That's a wide range of really fantastic people. They give you a, well. Let me know what was the grounding. What were the great things about going to BU besides being in Boston and you know in the middle of a really great college. Uh, and a great town full of exciting people and fun things. Well, the training, uh, we were all, many of us, Alfrey, David Garrison, Karen McDonald, whom you may or may not know, um, we were all trained by a phenomenal, two phenomenal teachers, Joe Gifford, who was my mentor in so many ways. He not only taught us movement, but led us to meditation and Reiki. He was my Reiki master. Um, and then and introduced us to yoga and, you know, everything that was sort of new in the seventies. And, um, and then Rose Shulman was the guru, uh, the acting guru for all of us for many years. And all many of us still, when we are in our dressing rooms have, uh, I have a picture of Rose. Karen has a, we, Rose is the inspiration. So I was lucky enough to know those teachers and work with them. And they had a, really profound effect on my life. And I think that was what BU did for me more than anything was introduce me to those teachers. And also I met many friends who are still my friends now. That's great. It doesn't seem like you had the pull to leave Boston because you are a fixture. There are, a, you know, Boston has, I would say 10 full-time working actors of which you and your husband are two. Yeah. Uh, and the other eight, if I had to list them, we both know because yeah. you're always you're at the lyric, you're at the Huntington, um, maybe the new rep. These are, by the way, for people who don't know, professional theater companies. I've been fortunate enough to be at one of them. Um, but and then what happens is they they either don't have enough people and they bring them from New York or people do a few shows and then go, I'm going to New York. Yeah. So what lot of, you lose a lot of young people, you know, I mean, Boston just 
spits out graduating class after graduating class. And it's not just BU, right? It's Boston Conservatory. It's Emerson. Northeastern. um, It's Brandeis. um, And we, the, it's usually the attrition is young people going to New York. Um, the uh, one success story that's just phenomenal is Celeste Oliva. She did like 15 years in Sheer Madness and then went to New York. And now she's like on every TV series. For people who know Sheer Madness is the show, which I think closed, sadly, but it was around for like 30 years. No, 42. (laughs) There you go. And it was the definitive off, off Broadway kind of show, which was a murder mystery based in a hair salon, if I'm not mistaken. And I believe the murderer changed every show. Well, we had four possible endings and the audience voted on who was the murderer. And then, and the second half of the show, we would act out whatever ending was voted for. It was a, it was, it became a template for a lot of dinner theater murder mysteries. This was not dinner theater. It was in a bar and it started in 1981, was scheduled to only run for 31 performances. And then it became the longest running non-musical in the history of the American theater. So, and, and lots of our friends, some who are no longer with us, yes. um, were in it. Yes. For a yeah. long time. Jake Colton, she's alive. I'm not saying she's not, but Sue Colton was in it forever, I think. Ellen Colton. Ellen Colton, sorry, thank you. And there was a gentleman whose name is escaping me now. I did improv things with him, unfortunately. Pat Shea. Um, No, that's not him. It was another gentleman. He did a lot of, he did something with a group called the Gold Dust Orphans. Oh. Which was. Larry Cohen. Yeah, Larry. He passed away. What a gem of a guy. Yeah. Yeah, he was brilliant. Yeah, a lot of a lot of a lot of actors went through sheer madness, and I learned more in sheer madness than I did. I mean, it was you know a dreck of a script, but boy, when you have to do thirteen weeks of something eight times a week, you really learn how to show up and make it fresh every time. You know, I have that feeling with a fake wedding show that I did called Nathan and Nina's Wedding, where uh, it was a mixed wedding. Uh, I was a rabbi, Rabbi Manny Shevitz. Sorry. <laughs> and there was a pastor. I, I forget what the father's name was. And it was a terrible script. And by the time we f- were ending the show, we had basically rewritten it on the fly. Yeah. And it was a fake wedding. People would pay money and it would usually be at a catering hall. And, you know, we would do a lot of shtick. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it, it, there was a lot you of learn yes. A lot. You yeah. learn a lot. You learn what doesn't work. Yeah, and you sh- and you and you learn about showing up and doing the show. You know, it it it's it it's not always going to be an inspiration. You've got to go out and it's a job. What we oh, do, yeah. is a job. Absolutely, you know? I I think that's what happens for some people when they they were in every high school show. Maybe they were the lead. Maybe they loved, whatever it was, and even college. But then they do the work of. A 13-week run, which is sort of a magical number because of equity. Yeah. But, and you're doing, right, you do eight shows a week, you know, and you you literally, you know, punch in a card sometimes yeah. or, or sign in. And it goes from this is a fun thing I'm doing for a weekend to, oh, this is week five. And it's like doing a mar- It's like running a marathon. Yeah. You ju- and you just, you can't, you just got it one foot in front of the other. Well, you're very, you're clearly a marathon runner because you've been in, you, not only have you, well, huh, tell us the theaters that you've worked in 
uh, in Boston because there are some really great equity or professional theaters. I assume you've been at the Lyric more than a few times. I did the second professional show of the Lyric stage in 1975 when they when they were located above Ken's at Copley Square, which was a very famous deli in Boston, um, in in um, Copley Square. I did Dial M for Murder, and the two guys playing my um, the the detective and my lover were both in offstage drag queens, and they taught me how to do my nails and my makeup every night. Um, a drag queen taught me how to do makeup also, uh, but that's a whole other issue. But there, yes. So I, I, I don't do my makeup lyric, on a regular basis. That's just for theater. Worked at the Lyric, um, the new rep, which is now um, in, a, in a new format, and they're undergoing some administrative changes. Speakeasy Stage, which is a fabulous place to work in the South End. Um, I've worked at the Nora Theater, Central Square Theater, um, Huntington Theater. I was a member of the ART company for five years. Um, for people, I just want to mention the ART is at Harvard. Yes. Which is also a pretty good place. It's a tremendous space and a, it was a great place to work. Um, and then I just finished um, a year as interim artistic director of the Gloucester Stage Company on the North Shore of Boston. Um, so that is an amazing, amazing venue. Uh, which has produced some fantastic stuff. And it is a real get. When I've gone to the auditions, you see the best of the best people go in there. Honestly. Yeah, we do really good work. And I mean, the plays that we choose are very interesting and um, not run of the mill Summerstock Theater. So I, I'm very proud to have done that for the last year and a half. And now happy to move on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, what I can't. You know, it's interesting. Being on stage is one sense of one set, excuse me, of responsibilities. But being an artistic director uh, is a whole other set of responsibilities. You're shaking your head like, oh, my oh, God, Jesus. Yeah, what, what 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 was I thinking is basically <laughs> what I've been saying all year. And I wonder, is it a um, what's it like to be on the other side of the table across from actors? Do you feel like your acting experience of a significant amount of time served you? Uh, did it give you patience? Did it give you compassion? Or did it give you a sense of, I can't deal with this? <laughs> um, I, um, what did it do for me? Well, first of all, I've, I've directed since 1985 as well as acted. So just, being in an audition room, I, I know what it, because being on the other side as an actor is so hard. And because I coach actors, I'm just really aware when people come into audition, what a gift it is to put yourself on the line like that, because it's the supreme vulnerability. You're just, it's the most vulnerable you can be is to be an actor auditioning in an, in an audition room. It really is. There's just hardly anything that's more vulnerable than that. Um, and, and, and how did acting prepare me for nothing prepared me for being an artistic director? Nothing. Uh, well, that's good information for those. Of no, you. I made many mistakes, but I also learned a lot and it was an adventure. And I had a great partner, Chris Griffiths, who was the manager, who is still the managing director. He's brilliant, but I'm, it was a lot of work and I'm really glad that I'm, I'm, done <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Yeah, to, to back up a little bit 
um, Boston people sometimes aren't as well known as New York or LA people for a variety of reasons. There are sometimes people who are in Boston who I see in lots of movies that are in Boston, you know, Ken Cheeseman is that maybe like he will, he's not moving to LA or New York. I'm just thinking at the top of my head and some other people I'll see in a bunch of movies. I know that guy and they'll be in big movies, but they're, they stay living in Boston um, or the Ken Cheeseman was thanked at the Oscars. That's why I mentioned him because he was fresh in my mind. We all screamed and Facebook blew up. You know, we said, did Ken Cheeseman just get mentioned at the Oscars? Um, and I think that, and I'm forgetting his name, but there's a, another great actor who's been in a million things. It keeps popping into my head from Adaptation. He was uh, one of the, which was that movie about orchids. Um, yes. which started as like a, it was the one. To, Chris Cooper? Yes, Chris Cooper. That's what I'm thinking yeah. of, who lives he, in the Boston area. He lives in Sudbury, I think. Yeah. Um, so I, there's something about committed New Englanders. Yeah. Um, and I no. don't mean committed in hospitals. I mean, just like people who, who don't want to live in an industry town. When you go to LA, you, nobody is not in the business. It's, I mean, even a gas station attendant has a script for you. If, I know, if, I know, I know. And so it's a, yeah. It's true. It, here, when you say, um, I'm an actor, it's, it's exciting. If you tell somebody on a subway in New York, I'm an actor, they say, so am I, you know, um, I have. I, I did a, a, a. Speaking of Ken Cheeseman, and this is a, a an actor story about how people get excited when you say you're an actor. Um, Ken and I did a um, Tufts Medical Center uh, commercial once, where I was um, I was considered to be the overweight wife, and he was the skinny husband. And it was. Um, In what world are you overweight? By the way, for people who don't know, know, you are not overweight. But. but anyway. I I am a zoftic woman, shall we say? And um, I the 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 line it was about a um a um a thing called diet workshop, and um diet um. Kenny and I were sitting there, and he said, "Oh, diet workshop, honey. Maybe I could." maybe we should drive over there. And I turned to him and I said, maybe you can walk. And, and I went for unemployment for, for, uh, we used to have to go in person to unemployment in Quincy. And I showed up at Quincy and I said, I'm an actor. Oh my God, you're an actor. Yes. I'm an actor. Well, what have you done? What have you done, honey? Oh my God. Well, I just did a commercial for Tufts. The, the punchline is maybe you could walk. Oh my God. Eileen, maybe you could walk. This is far. <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, it like like it excites people in Boston when you say you're an actor, right? You know, in New York, uh, which I've lived in uh, for a while now. I'm uh, living in Brooklyn, and when I was doing some acting in New York, I got on the subway with Christine Baranski. Oh yeah, and um, she talked to me like I was. I said hi, love you, whatever, and then like, she talked to me for a bunch of stops. But no, like everybody sees them, and they're like, "Oh, I'm too cool. Like I can't talk to people." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I, and I had an ad for like I, all my ads seemed to have been Rhode Island. Like I'm the I was a champion of the smallest media market in the world. I did some kind of like Rhode Island Journal series of billboards. 
And occasionally someone would recognize me because I was in a bathrobe. Oh, and they're yeah. like, you're the guy in the bathrobe. But um, those were the big claim to fame. But you, you have acted with Cher. And you're the only person I know. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe if anybody, still, by the way. Who, she's still paying me. <laughs> if anyone who listens to this podcast knows Cher, go to www.isthatreallylegal.com. Uh, there'll be a place to leave me a message. I'd be very happy to have Cher on. You know, uh, and just let it be known, I, I had Paula Plum on first. Okay, <laughs> so uh, Cher is a close second. So for people who don't know what I'm talking about, you were in a movie called Mermaids, which also, by the way, a couple of other uh, fine actresses, Winona Ryder and Christina Ricci and Bob Hoskins. Yeah. So like, and, and they might have said, oh, yeah, I had the opportunity to work with Paula Plum which a lot of people didn't get the opportunity to. So uh, look, I am one of those guys that makes my wife crazy. We live in a place. I, I'm in a movie star neighborhood. Literally Daniel Craig lives not far from me. I've opened the door for Carrie Russell at the coffee shop. Um, I've, I've walked by uh, which J Jason Bourne a few times. I was in, I'm not in Brooklyn. They, oh, nobody lives in Manhattan anymore. We've, they've all moved to Brooklyn. Which yeah, yeah. Are, so um, my point is, uh, actually, I don't have a point. I see these people, but um, what's it like to, what was that? That Because you didn't have a tiny part. You were the teacher, I think, of Christina Ricci, if I'm not mistaken. Exactly. And, um, and it was a pivotal. Uh, it, was, it was amazing. Part. It was an amazing experience. Um, I, I got, I got cast as Dossie Peabody's lesbian lover, which they then cut that subtext because when they did a market test, they discovered that people couldn't deal with the whole idea of a lesbian school teacher. Um, which, by the way, lesbian school teacher sounds like either a series of adult books or <laughs> a several films that you wouldn't be in. But I digress. But anyway, yes, but um, I I was uh, Mrs. Crane. Richard McElvain played Mr. Crane. And I um, I come in. My big scene was coming into the the um, the classroom and announcing the death of President Kennedy. And the kids at that point, it was 1989. No, the kids were all asking me, why are you so upset about a president being shot? Because we'd already had Reagan shot. Um, we'd had attempts on, you know, it, it was like they had been inured to the idea of tragedy and also the idea of a president being a hero. Um, yeah, nobody had, uh, for those of, well, I'm a little too young to remember that one, but there were several unfortunate assassinations shortly thereafter that I do remember. But the JFK assassination, which I assume you were aware of because you're just a little bit older than me. I was in fifth grade. At anyone who was, you know, in first grade or older mm -hmm. will be able to tell you exactly where they were, what was going on, how their parents cried. I, it's just like a, do you remember, do you remember JFK assassination? Oh, yeah. Well, I, I clearly remember it because then I'd never seen nuns cry. And, wow. and I was in school and, and everything stopped. We did actually have television sets in our classroom in the stone age when I went to school and they moved really the whole school stopped. Everybody's television went on. We were all silent. We were watching probably Walter Cronkite reporting that he had been shot at that point. They didn't know that he was dead. Um, we were sent home early 
the world stopped for at least three days. Right. And, um, and yeah. And so in, in, in mermaids, that was the incident in mermaids that I reenacted and tried to get the kids to understand what a hero JFK was and what Camelot was, because that was the, the image that was used about his administration. That's true. And for people, musical theater people, you remember that uh, that musical Camelot came out around that time. Yeah. So it was his favorite. It was JFK's favorite show. Um, and and anyway, but what was it like working with Cher? Working with Cher, it was like working in a high security prison because um, you would hear you would be shooting something and then everything would stop and you would hear on everybody's walking talkie. She's here. She's here. She's here. Or they'd have a code word for her. I can't even remember. She's here. She's here. Everything would stop. <clears throat> We'd have to clear the, the hallways because nobody could be in the hallway when she walked down the hallway. <clears throat> nobody could talk in the um, trailer when she was in the trailer. Hmm. Um, you just had to, she needed space. And she was very insistent that there was silence when she was around. Wow. So it was a little crazy. Wow, what about the other two stars that I mentioned? Unbelievably great. Um, Bob Hoskins, um, it was he, he would joke. And he also had, because he was trying to have a, 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 an accent, a Boston accent, he had a coach with him all the time. So his coach would be whispering his lines to him. But if, mm -hmm. we, if he was in a scene with me, um, he would say, how do you say this? And he had a very thick London accent. And and I would just repeat it back to him before he start. You know, he he was just a lovely guy and very cute and talked to everybody on the set. Um, Winona Ryder was lovely. She was very young. She was like sixteen. Mm. Yeah, it must be nice to see her now. Well, I don't know if you watch Stranger Things, but she's yes. really. Uh, I think she's still great. Yeah, she's still great. The camera loves her, and also Christina Ricci was about ten, and she was adorable. Um, so it was it was a great it was a very happy set. That's, you know, that's nice. I I was actually in a film with you, although we didn't work together. Um, I had a tiny part. You had a slightly larger part. It was called Next Stop Wonderland, which oh, yeah. is a really lovely film for people who haven't seen it. Don't yeah. blink. Um, my moment is very short. I think you worked at the aquarium for I Robert Klein? Yes. I played the, head, the one of the administrators of the aquarium. I had a, I gave a speech with penguins. And <laughs> I remember how hard it was to shoot because the penguins would not shut up. Yeah. I also, although I wasn't there, having been at the Boston Aquarium a few times, it's cold and it's very noisy. Very cold very noisy. It's just aquariums when and, there's live animals and splashing and whatnot. Yeah. Penguins make terrible extras. <laughs> <laughs> they, they are only good in formal scenes. They don't know how to do cash. <laughs> um, but I I always was surprised at how good that film turned out. No it's offense to the... It, you know, it was a true indie. It was one of two times I worked with Philip Seymour Hoffman, which is kind of weird, although I didn't technically work with... In in he's Hope Davis's ex boyfriend in Next Stop Wonderland. All we see him in is like uh, one scene breaking up with her, and you then the video. The I was actually I was a phone call, oh, right. um, a phone date, That's and right. um, uh, there were lots of uh, stand ups 
from Boston who had little parts like that. Will Oh, that's who I was trying to think. Will Bow, who is another one of the fixtures of the Boston scene. Brilliant. A sweet, super sweet guy, too, in my experience. Brilliant actor. Um, it's so funny. I'm like going down memory lane. It, what's interesting is I've lived in Brooklyn now uh, just about 10 years. I unfortunately lost a friend a few years ago. Uh, my wife, Holly, didn't know a lot of these Boston people. We went back to Boston. I took her to Boston for the memorial service. And she met all these people and she was shocked that all these people know. And I'm not saying she's shocked that people liked me, but that, you know, seeing people was like a whole other, I, she had no idea. It's like, and I, it's like a whole other world, the Boston scene and the people, the people will continue to work there. Great example, Amy Doherty, Amy Doherty, who I met when she was still like an environmental engineer and she was doing community theater and, I was at the new rep with her in um, um, Into the Woods. She was ah. Cinderella. And, oh, my God, a, a little secret, um, and I'm sure she wouldn't mind. I'm trying to get her on the show. She'll never do it. She doesn't read music. Right. And she's doing Sondheim and arguably one of the harder Sondheims. And with that, like, her brain is... I, she's, she's a really brilliant woman who is drop dead gorgeous. Um, I I actually directed Amy at the Boston Symphony's 100th celebra- uh, the celebration of Bernstein's uh, Bernstein's 100th birthday, and she sang um, "I Can Cook Too," and we had to have the fire department standing by because <laughs> it's so hot. <laughs> yeah, she's. I, I think, as the British would say, a bit of all right. She's, She's a cool guy. Yes, she um, is. And she happily married to an also talented guy, super lovely. Um, just just one yeah. of the gems of people to work with. Uh, it's nice to work with people who are so ridiculously talented, but don't, they're not expecting you to acknowledge it. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, that's, uh, that's what I learned. I mean, over the years, I understudied. 12 shows at the Huntington theater from 83 to 85 and understudied some pretty amazing people. Um, and what I observed was the really successful, famous actors. Most of them were very kind and generous and didn't have a lot of ego. I'm not going to ask you to name the ones that were difficult, even though <laughs> it would be fun. If you wanted to, you could, I just don't want you to feel you have to. Well, no, it's, 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 there's, there's a wonderful guy. Um, there's, there's a wonderful guy named Victor Garber and I didn't work with him. But I was at Uta Coggins, a hundredth birthday party at the actor studio. And I wanted my picture with Victor Garber in front of that actor studio screen. And her daughter kept coming up and sort of, you know, sidelining me. And I, I just gave up and Victor saw me giving up. And, and as everyone was heading into dinner, he grabbed me and said, Paula, come on, now's our chance. And he didn't really know me from Adam. He worked with my husband, but he knew that I wanted a picture with him. And he was so sweet to do that. You For know, people. Okay. So Victor Garber is a hero in our house because my wife got me turned on to listening to the original Godspell soundtrack and victor garber is he originated the part of jesus in godspell and he's one of the few people who did it in the canadian 
uh, production, which is world famous because Paul Schaefer was the music director. Um, Martin Short was in it. Gilda Radner was in it. Eugene Levy was in it. And I mean, so, uh, but they only took like Victor Garber, um, who was amazing. And people can look him up. He's been in about three billion things. And I'm blonde. You'll know the most people will know him from Legally Blonde. Yeah, uh, I'm so glad to hear he's a good guy because I I really actually don't like to hear the stories of like, oh, that guy was a dick or whatever. It's it's sad. It may it's just it's disappointing because when you think of the of the privilege that we have when we've been lucky enough to do this be in this business for a long time. Um, really, it's 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 sad to hear when people are not generous. Lee Barrett, Love. generous, lovely, and I just I'm hoping to get her on also. I when I was in uh, into the woods, Lee Barrett was the baker's wife, and yeah. I just I love talking theater, so I hope you don't mind me stepping on you with the story. No. Um, she she is very self-deprecating but also very tongue-in-cheek she's got an amazing sense of humor and very sassy uh, yeah sassy is a great word she if she were british she'd be cheeky right and um i can't remember how it came up um working with todd johnson who's another great guy who lives in new york now he's not acting right now but I can't remember how it came up, but I said something to her and I was kind of sheepish. And she said, oh, no, you need to refer to me as uh, America's gem or or she, she had some name she created for herself on the spot. And I didn't get she was joking. Um, and it was hysterical. She's very funny and also super sweet. Um, just And very, um, you know, she is somebody, you know, if you have she's the expert on. Um, vocal uh, issues. And if you have a problem vocally, you can call Lee and she can tell you exactly what to do. Yeah, because she knows she's what very it's good. Like. She's very good with helping people who are young actors, especially who are being challenged by their singing voices. Yeah, yes, because it it's a whole other world to do eight shows a week where if you're a lead and you have some challenging songs like Sondheim, I mean, there's a, forget just you know, standing next to someone who, instead of having a simple harmony with you, is a second or a ninth or a, like some kind of weird thing while you're also dancing and handling props and yeah. trying to act. So, yes, but you are a great coach. My memory of, see, I'm going to segue it back to you. Wasn't that awful? Um, what, what do you like about working with people Privately, because some people, while you know they would like to do it to have a little extra money, they're either not well suited in terms of their disposition, or they find it challenging. But you have tremendous patience, well, uh, as as evidenced by this interview. But also, what what do you enjoy, and what do you think is important in those kind of private coachings? Um, I really love coaching privately so much more than I like classroom teaching. Um, I feel like I have an effect and I feel like I can take time and I'm not, and I can give that person a, a coaching session is part teaching, part therapy, because so many actors sit and need to talk about what, what a hard time they're having. And every actor in this world is challenged by how hard it is to be an actor. And I find that I'm, 
really good at helping people figure out what their path is and being positive about what they do. I'm a big believer in measurable success, which is um, just a formula that I have. Do one thing a day that makes you feel like you're still in the business, even if you the, you know, everyone says, Oh, I'll never work again after every show. And then, you know, once when you start, just revise your resume, um, get some head, you know, people don't print headshots, send out a couple of headshots, create an, an email about your latest stage reading. Um, see, call Boston Playwright, see if you can do a stage. I mean, anything that you can do that is measurable success will keep you feeling positive about your life goals. And that's part of, what I do as a, as a coach is not just teaching you how to act, but helping you with your career. I, I can tell you for certain, there are people who are names that we all know and we see work all the time who worry if they'll ever work again. And you think, really? I, again, I worked with, I'll drop the name, Tom Selleck uh, in a movie. I don't know if you were in it. It would be one of the few you weren't in. The Love Letter? <laughs> no, I was Margaret Brady had a nice part in and um, I was in a scene as his divorce lawyer, and he confided in me that he was concerned he was going to get fired that day because he didn't feel like the director was enjoying him. And he also wasn't feeling well. I think he had some bad lobsters the night before. It was in the yeah. Northeast and like rock yeah. and and, um, and I kept my mouth shut, but in my head, I'm like, you're Magnum P.I. Like, they're not firing. <laughs> but people do get fired. What's, but it just, what's that? He's the name. Right, like he's the box office. I mean, who? So, yes. Um, in that, some way, fame, fame is a double-edged sword in that respect, because you're still a human being, even though people see you as an icon. And human beings are filled with insecurities, especially actors. Um, you know, I had a dear friend who just passed away, Nan Carroll. And yeah, oh, who was also in Into the Woods in that production that I was talking about, who was just a lovely person. Amazing actor. She and I did four shows together in the last 10 years, and we just became each other's favorite scene partner. But she used to say, every time I start a job, I, I know for a fact after the first reading that I'm going to be fired. <laughs> and she's... She was beloved by many people. People were in awe of her. No one could do what uh, Nan did. Nan was unique in, in the way that she delivered a line, in the way that she could listen on stage, in the way that she could give somebody a dirty look. I mean, she was just, she had it, she had it, and it was hers alone. And I also think that she, I think that what people get confused or don't understand is some people make it look effortless, but it's not effortless. Oh. <laughs> it's work, baby. <laughs> or you've been working for 30 years to create that moment. Maybe it's effortless in that moment, but that moment has a resume, you know? It's so true, Eric, that, you know, people think they can, that anybody can act and it, it, many, many people can act but there is, I'm a kind of a training snob. I really think that having some training really makes a difference. And um, nobody really knows what those, what you just said, what those mo, how people craft a moment has a history. There's a, there's a DNA to what you're doing on stage that can't be um, dissected easily. Well, thank you. I, 
I love acting. I don't do it a lot anymore, but I really appreciate people like you who help actors and also who just do it so damn well. Um, one of the other things you do for people, at least in my memory, and again, I'm old now, so I could be wrong, but you picked out great uh, material for me for monologues. Like you get who people are, and rather than trying to make someone a transformative actor, whatever the hell that is, you know, have me somehow be a leading man, which I know that's self-deprecating, but look, I, I'm just not going to be Romeo, for example. I'm not going to be Stanley Kowalski. Um, but you picked out something for me for a really kind of damaged person, a little, a, I think it was a one-act play called Walking the Dead. Um, I still love that monologue. It was about a guy who was, uh, whose parents uh killed themselves um and he talks about how how all leading up to what had happened that they were on diets that his father was trying to gain weight and his mother was trying to lose weight spoiler alert and they did it all so that they could hang each other <laughs> together and balance each other it's very dark wow and, and his aunt who he ended up living with bought him a dog and uh, thinking that would cheer him up. And he, I think this is a therapy session, was the monologue, and he ended up naming the dog Mom and Dad. <laughs> <laughs> and for some reason, you thought this was a great monologue for me. And you were right. Um, but he, he really, he didn't feel bad about his parents. He just loved when his aunt would call the dog in from the backyard. Mom and yeah, it's time for dinner, Mom and Dad. Or something um, like that. It's um, very, it's dark. Dark. It sounds, it sounds like it's my favorite combination of dark and funny. Um, those are my, oh, that's thank my, you for that. My favorite stuff. You're very welcome. I, I do. Yeah, I, that's part of the, that's part of the, um, the, 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 the service of coaching people is finding material for them because obviously I've been doing this all my life. I know a lot of plays. But I also, you can tell that monologue though. Oh. I wish I did. You can also tell somebody, like, you, you, for some reason, again, you have an intuitive or well-designed, well-honed sense of you're funny or you're odd, but in a good way, or you're odd in a frightening way. And we might as well, let's use that. Why, why work against your type? Look, we, let's go with the things that are going to get you cast. So if you look like a serial killer... Let's do that. If you let's look like it. a rejected, you're never going to date anybody. Let's do that. What, whatever it is. You're right. Because you have to bring you into the room as an auditioner. Like you, you should bring something of you into the room. They, the auditioners don't know you. They want to see you for those monologue auditions. Right. And then they'll right. see what they need to see at the read of the play, but bring yourself into the room. Don't try to be a million different things. And that, you know, that's very interesting. I'm glad you bring up that point. Cause I think it's a mistake that people make in every field, whether it's an actor or a lawyer, people who want to be like, Oh, I can do that. I can do that. It's like, no, yeah. you can't. And don't, yeah, and by the way, why would you want to do the thing that you're designed for? You know, um, I'm blanking now, but oh, Alan Rickman, you know, the late Alan Rickman, he was so great at villainy or possible villainy. You having him or just right, I mean, right, but and and funny, but you know, 
Um, maybe he's not a good example because I've seen him do a lot of different things and he was brilliant. Um, so maybe I'm wrong. But there are some people you just want to see be villains or bad guys or some guys that, you know, Tom Cruise, wh whether you like him or not, I can't imagine him being cast as a villain. I don't think he'd be a good ba bad guy. Um, so I, I, I actually met Tom Cruise on the set of Malice because Nicole Kidman was... <gasps> The lead and again in the in on the tra in the trailer with Nicole Kidman and Tom was not in the movie but he came he was on the set a lot so um I was being made up next to BB Newworth and the um Tom came into the trailer and of course my heart stopped and he was down the end of the trailer and I was sitting there with BB. I went, Tom Gross just walked in. She says, Oh yeah. Hi Tom. And he looked up and down the trailer and he saw that I was the person that he didn't know. And another example of a lovely person walked right up to me and said, hi, I'm Tom. I said, I know. <laughs> That's awesome. First of all, B.B. Newworth, if I met her, she might be one of those people where I either cry or faint or just can't say anything because she is a genius. She is brilliant and funny. And Philip Pullman, that, there's another guy who I wish I saw more of. Philip Pullman was in that playing Nicole Kidman's husband and Alec Baldwin. That um, movie, by the way, written by Alan Sorkin. Is yes. one of the movies that people forget about, not because of Genius you. Movie. That movie is a real thriller. That There's movie is a fantastic thriller yes. about medical malpractice. I'm going to leave it at that. I don't want to ruin anything about it. But I haven't seen that movie in decades, and I still know for a fact that it's a great bloody movie. Sorry, it is Baldwin. a great movie, and Alec Baldwin has a great monologue in there. If anybody's looking for a movie monologue that ends with, I am God. <laughs> when I'm holding his heart in my hands or something to that. And and by the way, perfectly cast. Everybody's brilliant in that movie. Yeah. There's not. And, and the late, great Anne Bancroft. Yes. The mother. Right. Yeah. I mean, mother. just a great movie. I'm thrilled that you got a chance. I, I'm now I got to rewatch that movie because you're in it. Forget all the other people. Oh, but you know what? It's so weird. I'm I'm in the like you you wouldn't even know that it was I. Um, I got actually flown out to L.A. twice to loop this last moment of the movie. Insane! They had to fly me first class because of SAG after rules. I was I you know drinking my weight in champagne and eating my weight in cashew warm nuts, you know, on the way out because the the plane ticket in 1991 was two thousand dollars round yeah. trip each time, and I wasn't even getting paid that much, but. They had to fly me out to loop it twice, and um, it, 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 the reason uh, the reason they cast me, and this is going to blow your mind, the director Harold Becker, I hope I have his name right, um, was um, convinced that I was BB Newworth's lookalike. BB Newworth weighs two pounds soaking wet, and I won't tell you what I weigh. But I am 5'7". She's about 5'4". She has dark hair and brown, brown eyes. I was B.B. Newitz lookalike. And Harold would come into the trailer. She and I would be sitting next to each other in our nurses' outfits. She, he would look at, the, at us in the mirror and go, yes, yes. He'd turn around <laughs> and B.B. Newitz and I would go, no, no. It was Harold Becker. 
yeah. who directed uh, Sea of Love, which is another great thriller. Ah, oh, ah, oh, Alan Barkin. Hot as hell in that movie. That Wasn't that, um, what's his name, Dennis Quaid as well? Uh, no, I think that was Al actually Al Pacino and Jer um, Gold, uh, Goodman, John Goodman. Great movie. I think people can correct us. I, we're going to get close to wrapping it up because um, uh, oh, we're reaching the time, but also you have a life and things to do. <laughs> this is so fun. First of all, let me say, it's just great to see you. You're looking great. It was great to see the husband. He's looking great. I'd love to We're have him on. I, I, thank you so much. Can you have him shoot me an email? I'd love to have him on. He's probably got a million great stories too, because he's yeah. always working. And um, I'm sure Amy Doherty would love to be on. Um, is there anything you think I should? What's when is, that? When is your podcast on? Or Whenever you want it. I mean, oh. I usually post it um, on Mondays, but I don't know when yours will be on. I have a, I have a few in the can. I'll let you know when it's up. Okay. Uh, you can go to isthatreallylegal.com. Love it. Um, and I have my wife basically made me do this podcast, which I love. I'm not, but what happened was the pandemic starting and she said, you should do a podcast. You always wanted to have your own talk show, which is true. And I said, everyone has a podcast, Hal, so they're going to say, sorry, we're full. But she rightfully uh, insisted. And um, I, it started like a legal podcast and I got bored. And then I realized I know all these amazing creative people. Yeah. Everyone's story is different. Everyone's journey. And they may have thought they were going to do something and then makes a left turn. And so I've got lots of actors, coaches, directors, writers, musicians, lots of cool, fun people, people who some people will go, oh, my God, I know Kim Masters. She's a journalist with The Hollywood Reporter who has her own podcast. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's other people that are like, I have no idea who that is. That's like, oh, that's my friend, a tattoo artist. It's like, but yeah. she's fascinating. So, like, why not? Yeah. So that's that's where it's at. And people will go, Paula Plum, I remember her from such films as Malice and Mermaids. Yes, yes. As well as every season somewhere in Boston. Yes. Well, so is, this, okay. is there something that you wanted to tell people that I didn't ask you about that you think, oh, I should say this? Um uh, well, if if actors are listening, it's worth it. Just keep trying. You know, really, you just have to put one foot in front of the other. Persistence is worth more than talent. You know, I love that. Thank you for that. And I would say that you're one of the people I know who not only has persisted, but has persisted with a smile on your face and encourages everybody to go forward in this work joyfully. Mm. Not yeah. nose to the grindstone. I mean, certainly work, but joyfully. It's not fun. Why do it? Man, what a great note to end on. Paula Plum, thank you for being on Is That Really Legal with Eric Rubin. You were a delight. Thank, thank you so you. much. Thanks. I hope you had as much fun listening to that interview as I had doing it with Paula. I'd forgotten, honestly. I, don't, I remembered that she was great. I'd forgotten how great. What a lovely person. What a uh, generous person. Uh, what a joy to work with and just be with. Uh, if you get a chance and you're in Boston, look for whatever she's in next. She does a lot of theater. She's just fantastic. Um, please subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. That way you'll automatically get it. Share this podcast with other people. Rate it. 
And as always, if you have questions or comments, go to www.isthatreallylegal.com. I'm happy to chat with anyone, anytime about this stuff. Um, That's the show, folks. Please be kind to each other. Do what you got to do to be a good citizen of this country. Would you please, for the love of God, thank you. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.